Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. morning we're going to be in Ephesians 5 covering verses 12 through 21. So what we covered the last time is the six evidences of the new life in Christ and I look back and I'm like that was a good choice of word evidence. Evidence is an important thing if you're building a case if you're trying to get to the bottom of something you need evidence. The world often challenges believers well what evidence is there that this is true? And quite frankly, we should do our homework and be able to present some evidence. But even as believers, there's going to be an evidence or a fruit in our life that says something about who we are, that says that we really are the real deal. I meet so many unbelievers, atheists, etc., who are just turned off by Christians because they see, and, and it does really hold us to really an unfair standard a very high standard. However, if we are uh, operating with the power of the Holy Spirit, then they will see something different in us. So these, these six evidences, we covered last Sunday, one, two, three, and part of four, and this morning we're going to be covering the rest of four, five, and then also six. And this morning's titled is Living with an Eternal Purpose. Uh, that's important, because what are we doing what, what is the moniker for our lives? What if, what if uh, there would be a, our chest would light up and say basically what we're into, what we're all about? Does it have an eternal purpose? These are important questions. And I'm really hoping to inspire you, as I was inspired long ago, to really be sold out for the Lord. You know, what is your ministry? Ask them. You know, what is it that my spiritual... I, you know, I remember as a new believer, I wanted to know right away, what are my spiritual gifts? What does the Lord want me to do? And it was really neat. It was a really neat thing. Tragically, though, I think that you can go... Um, I mean, even as a new believer, I knew believers who were believers for some time, and 20 years later, um, they're accumulating wealth, they're accumulating degrees, they're accumulating stuff, they're accumulating so many things but their walk has never taken off. They're still baby Christians. They're still on milk. And newer believers passed, completely surpassed them. And that's kind of a shame because really we're going to spend a whole heck of a lot more time in eternity than we will in these physical bodies. And we'll talk about that. So starting with verse 8, it says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the world. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, proving what is acceptable to the Lord and having no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest, they're revealed by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. Light is the great revealer. And I love this because you can go into a dark room and turn on the light switch and everything looks different from what you saw with your frail vision bumping into things in the middle of the night. You hit the light switch and you know what you tripped over. For me, I have a cat that's it's up there in years and when I step on something squishy, I'm not really sure what it is until I turn the light on and she throws up a lot. So maybe that was, I'm sorry, that was TMI. <laughs> 
I told you to show me grace before we started. <laughs> so anyway, therefore, he says, awake, you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. So let me, let me rephrase, let me restate what we covered the last time, briefly, and then we'll move into today's message. What were the four evidences? Number one, to be followers, as God, followers of God as children. Two, to not be followers of the world, not to imitate the world. Three, there will be consequences for which lifestyle we do follow, period. And four, it's all summed up or restated as spiritual light versus spiritual dark concept. And I told you the last time that light and dark is not a color. It's a concept. It's a physical property in the physical world. But spiritually, it's a spiritual concept. Absolute illumination versus absolute darkness. There's nothing in between. As a matter of fact, Revelation tells us that there'll be no more need of the sun because the light of Christ's glory will illuminate. It's pretty impressive, you know? So the light will be with us all the time. The sun is just the cheap representation of who God is. God is light. And we love the sun, don't we? The sun is awesome. But it's, it's really not impressive when you put it next to the Lord Jesus Christ. And given enough time, the sun will burn itself out. Any ball, hot ball of gas will eventually do that. So let's look at light. Okay? Well, look, at the special ops, when they have their night vision, they use ambient light. That's amplified. They use infrared light to expose the enemy. Where's the enemy? They put those night goggles on and boom, they know exactly where the enemy is because been, they've been exposed. But our job is to be spiritual salt and light. We, know, we do no good if we're in darkness trying to lead others out of darkness. It means, makes no sense. If you're in a cluttered room and there's pitfalls all the way around you and you try to lead somebody else out of that dark room, you're both going to be stumbling and bumping into each other. Somebody has to be in the light. Jesus said, he says, he spoke about seekers of spiritual things and how they were looking for truth. And the Pharisees, the religious teachers of the day, uh, were in darkness themselves. And he said, you guys are like the blind leading the blind. And when the blind lead the blind, both of you will fall into a pit. Somebody has to have their eyes open in a spiritual sense. Love this. Uh, John 12, 46, check this out. Jesus says, I have come as light into the world that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. Matthew 5, 14 through 16. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. Let me stop. Wait a minute. He said he was the light of the world. And then he said, you are the light of the world. Speaking of his followers. And guess what? We're followers 2,000 years later, this applies to us, right? So what's, what's the deal? The deal is he was the original light. He is the original light. And as we are sealed with the Holy Spirit, as we become believers, we have light too that we can exude or we can emanate. It reminds me of the transfiguration. His, the glory of Christ's light could not be hidden. You know, nobody had ever seen a brightness so, so beautiful. So he says, you... Calvary Chapel Christians, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. You don't put a, a city on a hill to hide it. You put a city on the hill so everybody can see its beauty. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but a, on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. 
So in those days, they didn't have the elaborate structures that we did, L formations and bi-levels and all this kind of stuff. They had a basic square or rectangular structure. And at nighttime, they would take a lamp and put it in the center of the room, put it on a lampstand, light it, and it would just beautifully reflect. Some of you may have had those pretty candles that you light. Just before you leave the house, make sure you blow them out. Just saying, a little public service announcement. But that little light in the center of the room would illuminate all the corners. Maybe not super like these LEDs, but it would do the trick. And in Jesus' day, they understood that. He says, let your light so shine before men that may, they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Sometimes we miss that part, even Christians that are serving. We show our light so that we can be glorified. No, 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 it's not supposed to work like that. All the glory has to go back to the Lord, and it should. Remember, if God's word commands it, then we have the ability to do it. Light exposes darkness. It exposes darkness in teaching, false teaching, and it exposes darkness in behavior. And I just say that I, I belong to a few professional organizations, and sometimes I'm in a group, and the conversation on their end will downgrade into something vulgar. And they'll say, oh, they'll catch themselves, sorry, Joe. I didn't say anything. I'm just there. I just exist. I don't partake in it. I'm not the words police. I don't want to be the words police. You know what I'm saying? But they say, oh, sorry, Joe. Hey, that's cool. There's something about me that they understand, that, and, and honestly, I'm honored by that. I don't feel left out. I, I feel doing God's service. Verse 14, he says, therefore, he says, awake. Now, this is going to go... This portion of scripture, these few verses come from, in the Old Testament, Isaiah the prophet, Isaiah 26, Isaiah 60, right? Speaking about the children of Israel at the time, but see how the Apostle Paul applies it to the Ephesian Christians, and let's see how we can apply it to 2015 Northeast Christians. He says, awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. It's very interesting. Let me just see what... Um, I actually have a, a note here on what Spurgeon wrote. He was making a parallel to God's people in the days that Isaiah was written. Um, and he's basically saying to the Ephesian Christians, and we can see the application today, when Christ was raised from the dead, he also raised us from the dead. So why do some believers still behave as if they're still dead? And I love these really parables, metaphors, symbolism, whatever you want to look at. Dark versus light, we covered that. Dead versus resurrected. Dead. Somebody dies, that's it. They're done. The body starts to break down. Unless Jesus Christ is around to resurrect them, that's it. They start to decay, you know, and the bacteria and stuff that are in them start to take over. And there's a, there's a breaking down process until the bones are just left, depending on where they fall. So dead versus resurrected, this is brilliant. For some today, awake, arise, exude Christ's light in your, in your life in this dark world. We're called to live this way. So here's the quote. Spurgeon said this about this passage. He says, the person who is asleep does not care what becomes of his neighbors. How can he while he is asleep? Some of you Christians don't care if souls are saved or if they're damned. It is enough if you are comfortable. If you can attend a, a respectable place of worship and go with others to heaven, you're indifferent about anything else. That's a pretty powerful statement. 
and he's speaking about this portion of Scripture. We need to awake. We were resurrected as Christ was resurrected. As a matter of fact, in baptism, it's symbolism. It's, that baptism is symbol, symbolized of many things, but one of them is the resurrection. Old, down into the old life of the flesh and out in new life in Christ, new life of the Spirit. That should be encouraging and exhortative. Ephesians 5, continuing with verse 15, he says, see then that you walk, right? Your lifestyle, your walk, your, your Christian walk, everything about you, you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And he's saying the will of the Lord for your life. You know, we want to say, well, the, well, the pastor should do that or, or my spouse should do this. What is the will of the Lord for your life? Because every person sitting here, God has a, a plan. And, you know, listen, Jonah ran the other way. And, you know, we had Barack, who um, uh, Vinny spoke about on Wednesday night, the re another reluctant uh, man of God, G Gideon, a lot of reluctant people. But eventually, God got a hold of them, and had them fulfill his purpose. And you know what? We're never really in a groove. We're never really in a spiritual sink until we're following what the Lord's will is for our life. It's very important that we find that out. Walk circumspectly. The fifth evidence, to be alert, to be attentive, to be with a purpose, not aimless meandering through life. He says, don't be foolish, but understand the will of the Lord. It, quite frankly, it is foolish to live for the here and now. Because the here and now, there's no guarantees. I mean, seriously, think about this. You don't have to call it out. What sums up your life? Going back to what I said before. Who are you? Who am I? What's my identity? How am I known? How do I want myself to be known? Sometimes uh, Facebook is like truth serum. I often say that. Facebook is truth serum. I'm sure the federal government loves that we're all on Facebook. They know what we believe, what we sale, companies, sales companies, they love it too. Let me tell you something. It isn't the NSA that's just doing the data mining. It's the sales company. They want to know how they can squeeze more money out of us. They want to know how they can gain our loyalty. So they data mine. They find things, and we're very open to, to give it up. What are we known by? The next question is, does it have any eternal value? The next question is, how old are you? I'm going to get to that. He says, redeem the time because the days are evil. The days were evil in the Roman Empire. We're starting to see that the days are evil here. I uh, just had a, just as a the teens event last night, was there for a little bit. And I remember one of the young teens had come to me and said, you know, I, my kids in my school are allowed to do a lot of things. And I just asked if for this event I could sing a song. And Jesus is in it. And they said, and they told me, no, they turned me down. So this is what's going on. What's going on in the military is horrendous how they're trying to completely sanitize Christ and Christianity from the military. It's, it's, the days are evil. Don't waste precious time that God has given you on this earth, in this life. So let's do this. There's 365, what, in a quarter days, figuring for leap year, in a year, 365. If you're 20 and you're blessed to be 80. Now, there's no guarantee if you're 20 that you're going to make it to 80. A lot of pitfalls in life. But if you're 20 and you're blessed to make it that far, you have roughly 21,900 days. Sounds like a lot, but it's really not. Days go by like this. 
You know, the summer goes quickly. Then we, oh, I should have done this this summer and that. that. Okay, so you just wiped out three, six, nine, twelve, uh, maybe 150 days, wiped out. It's the winter again. The snow's coming. I know, don't throw anything at me. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, we live in New Jersey. It's reality. If you're 30 years old and you live to 80, you have 18,000 days. If you're 40 and live to 80, you have, boy, the days are getting shorter, aren't they? <laughs> okay? All right? I'm between 40 and 50. So if you're 40 and you live to 80, 14,000 days. I have about 11,000 days. That's it. I got about 11,000 days. And that's if I make it to 80 before something happens to me. Think about that. Precious little time that we have. Redeem the time. What is your life's goal? What do you want to be known by? What do I want to be known by? If I was to die next week, somebody did my funeral. Here lies Joe. He was known for his golf swing, so we buried all the golf clubs with him, and we packed them nicely into the casket. Here lies Jane. Jane made a million dollars. We're still trying to stuff the money into the little pockets, and we're going to close it on her. Here lies, seriously, what do we want to be known by? author of a book, street sign named after us. Sometimes I see street signs and wings of colleges. I don't even know who these people are. But hey, they got their wing of the college. I went to Rutgers. There's wings everywhere. I don't know. Sometimes I look it up on Google. Who is this person? And now is what they were known by, by was it that important? Is it eternal? Listen, I'm not telling you to do, not to do stuff in the world. I'm not telling you to achieve. I'm not telling you not to achieve in your professions. I'm not saying that. But I am saying that there really needs to be an overriding um, understanding, overriding identity of who we are in Christ. Things have to change. They have to change. I tell you what, in those 11,000 days, I know what I want to achieve. I want to bring as many people as possible into the kingdom of heaven. That's just me. I was, uh, after the the Berean Room, the young adults group on Friday, a few of us went out to the streets of Jamesburg. And it, it was almost, it was interesting, there's this corner liquor store. And I just kept looking at it. And there was nobody there at the time. And I just felt a sense, you know, you know, I said, let's go back over there. And I tell you what, when we arrived there, people were just coming in and out, in and out, in and out, in and out. That was a great place to talk to people about Jesus. We talked to college kids. We talked to Spanish people. We talked to older people. We talked to teens. It was pretty amazing. I wasn't card checking. I was just in evangelism mode. But the bottom line is that what my desire is to bring people into the kingdom. And I tell you what, some of them really, with their, with their 12-pack in their hand, they actually stopped and were listening and paying attention. Matthew 11, powerful. Jesus says this. He says, And from the days of John the Baptist until now, when he was speaking, the kingdom of hev heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. That scripture has been chewed on and played with for the last 2,000 years. That's one of those enigmatic scriptures. But what Jesus was saying was that the multitudes, in the NIV, the multitudes are crowding into the kingdom. This was like this incredible... I don't know, some people are into wormholes and stuff, but there was this incredible opening in, in two worlds, and it opened up wide, and all these people started taking the narrow road. They wanted to get to heaven. They wanted to get to God. And that, that door hasn't closed yet. We still are in the age of grace. Evangelism still needs to happen. But I think that's amazing. You know, it's a picture of a, a castle. Of course God can, can defend his kingdom, but it means that 
unsaved people, there was just a, there was a hunger, there was a new work of the Spirit. People were trying to crowd into the kingdom of heaven. Maybe when we get to heaven one day, God will show us how many people and through the years just, just came in, these big harvests that, that opened up. So how about you? Do you really love your friends and your family? If you really do, would you withhold giving them the hope of Jesus Christ? Even if it may rub them the wrong way at first? Would, would we stop praying for those that we love so they could get into the kingdom of heaven? Will we pray for them not to be continually ripped off by religion and rituals that don't do anything for us? And Jesus even talked about repetitious in prayers, how vain it is and how the pagans do it. You know, what's our ministry? Ask God to reveal it to you. What are my spiritual gifts? Lord, reveal it to me. You know? Listen, every true revival started with the Holy Spirit working personally and modesty in the lives of individuals Families started to change. Read about the revivals in history. Families started to change. Communities started to change. Houses of prostitution and bars were closed down for lack of uh, demand. And this is what happens. You know, I know sometimes in Christianity we keep looking for the big. I know my mom wouldn't mind me sharing this, but my mom, as a young girl, or as a, I don't know, maybe she was a teenager, she, got, she went forward at a Billy Graham concert. No one ever said anything to her. They didn't give her a Bible. They didn't tell her what church to go to. Nobody gave her their phone number. So you know what? The next several decades, she lived as a heathen again. And it wasn't until later in life that she really gave her life to the Lord. And I tell you, the statistics show the big, if someone's not plugged in and there's not a discipleship, just, just go by mathematics. It doesn't work out. When the Holy Spirit does things, he doesn't do it with a lot of fanfare. He do, he, the Holy Spirit is modest. He does it personally. Read about revivals over time. Let me just go back to uh, something that Pastor Vinny uh, taught about the voices. And he showed a clip of a shepherd calling his sheep this specific call, and they would come. We have a shepherd too. He's the good shepherd. We could either listen to him. We could either be built up by him. We could either um, be obedient to him, or we could listen to other voices people who are not spiritual people, the voices of Satan, the voices of our own insecurity. You're worthless, you're a loser, you're the black sheep of the family, you're this, you're that. You know, let's, let's digress here for the... And again, it's up to you who's, which, which voice you want to listen to. In countries where they don't have a very expensive steel restraints for large animals like elephants, they actually do this training, and it's a simple rope. Not a very heavy rope, it's a simple rope. They tie it around the elephant, like, a, like almost like a leash, and they tie the elephant to a tree. And it's a baby, so it, it, it pulls and it, it just doesn't have the strength, it doesn't have the coordination to break that rope. Well, every day when they're done with the elephant, they tie the elephant back with that same rope. Fast forward, hundreds of pounds, thousands of pounds, the elephant becomes mighty, strong, monstrous. You wouldn't want to get near that elephant if it was ticked off. They use the same rope to tie the elephant to the tree because the elephant is so behaviorally trained that once they move a little bit and they feel the rope, they realize they can't break free of it. Christians can be like that. Some of you this morning are still held by that thin rope. You're being psyched out by the enemy. 
The enemy doesn't want you to believe the power that you have in Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit working through you. Don't believe the lying voices. Amen? Verse 18. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Of course, the Holy Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. The sixth evidence to be filled with the Spirit. People can tell. Unbelievers can tell. Other believers can tell. It's something that's hard to, to cover. You know, it's God's just doing the work because you want him to. This is amazing, this be filled with the Spirit. It's passive, but it's also imperative. In other words, it's a command. Be filled with the Spirit of God. But it's also passive. See, this is where some of the hyperisms of the signs and wonder movements get themselves in trouble because they don't understand God's word. Again, in the Greek, it's passive. Be filled with the Holy Spirit means somebody else is going to do it to you. That means we don't manufacture works of the Spirit. We pray for them. We open ourselves up. We desire them. So it's passive, not active. It's also imperative. It's a command. Are we desiring to be filled with the Holy Spirit? And we'll talk more about that. We're, we're sealed with the Holy Spirit at conversion. However, we have the ability to grieve the Holy Spirit, very sadly, and that's something that God, of course, doesn't want to do because it grieves his heart. Let's talk about this. This contrast, not to be drunk with wine, but to be filled with the Spirit. Let me take wine, alcohol, let me expand it. Any, I mean, today, now we have designer drugs. It's, you know, New Jersey Penal Code, Federal Code. You know, they, they have a list of all the scheduled drugs, you know, different schedules. And then some brainiac, who's like an evil genius, will make another drug in the lab. Well, it's not on the list. It's like law enforcement and the legislature is trying to catch up with all these designer drugs. Some nasty stuff out there that people are making. It's kind of sick if you think about it because it messes with people's brains and some of them, sometimes people don't come back. But let's just look at this for a minute. Whether alcohol and drugs or the Holy Spirit both have incredible power, both give us a sense of well-being, both have the ability to take over if we allow them to and make us feel great. One is a lie and one is genuine. And I think you can figure out which is which. Alcohol and drugs mainly affect the brain and the central nervous system, which then affect the behavior. The Holy Spirit positively affects the spirit, which then affects the mind. It's like a domino effect, which affects the brain, right? Brain is central nervous system. So basically what you do is based on being filled with the spirit. God changes you. Alcohol and drugs rip us off. The Holy Spirit is genuinely transforming, genuinely transforming. He says, don't be drunk with wine, which leads to dissipation, or excess debauchery. Being drunk and drugged only leads to bad things. Again, 24, 25 years as a heathen, before I came to Christ, I was drunk. I can tell you. I know what I still can remember. And I can tell you that, and I try to think about this. It's such a weird, uh, futile kind of experiment. I'm thinking back to my old life what I did and where I went, who my friends were. I can't think of one positive experience I had while I was drunk. Just saying. 
How many of you remember, the, was it in the 80s, that show, Cheers, where everybody knows your name? It was like a show about a bar. What they didn't show in Cheers was the DWIs. They didn't show the inebriation to the point where adultery was committed. They didn't show the abused and neglected kids. And they didn't show the bar fights. Yeah. <laughs> so I have an article. But it was a cute jingle, everybody knows your name, and everybody was happy and friendly and all that kind of stuff, but it was also a lie. Here's an article, I love this. <laughs> Undefeated boxer. How many of you are familiar with Adam Lights Out Little, the British boxer? <laughs> so, he had a record of 12-0, undefeated, until he went to a bar, had too much to drink, got into an altercation, and a mother of 21-year-old mother knocked him out. <laughs> so now, the guy's not 12-0 anymore, he's 12-1. I'm thinking of some of the girls in this church. Little 21-year-old, bang! He goes, he's out cold. So he was very embarrassed. It really ruined his record. And I'm just going to tell you, nothing good comes out of it. Alcohol and drugs bring out the worst of people, and they bring a, a terrible heartache to loved ones. By contrast, the Holy Spirit brings out the best in everyone. I've never seen anyone filled with the Holy Spirit where it didn't bring out the best in them. So now it's my life in Christ, being filled with the Holy Spirit. Nothing negative at all. Here's the irony. If you remember Acts chapter 2, during Pentecost, when the apostles were filled with the Holy Spirit, they started speaking in tongues, they went out in power, right? What were they accused of? Being drunk. Because check this out, the, the, this great... Uh, cascade of this open door where the Holy Spirit now is, is given. Mortal people looked at it and they didn't understand it. Like now, you could tell. It's been 2,000 years. The Holy Spirit's been doing an excellent work in the church for those who want to be used by Him. However, the observers knew the apostles were under the influence of something, but they couldn't put their finger on it because they weren't used to the Holy Spirit. And they said, these, these guys are drunk. However, the hearers at the time were Greeks and Parthians and Scythians, and they started hearing their words in their own language. Pretty impressive, isn't it? Now, I will say this. In Calvary Chapel, this is what happens. The Bible says something, and then somebody grabs it and becomes legalistic. The Bible's not saying that there's no place for legitimate uh, medication. The Bible's not saying that you can never have alcohol, but my phrase is, if you can't tell the difference between one glass of wine and three bottles, you definitely have a problem and should stay away from it. But even many in Calvary Chapel, they, they become very legalistic with this and they miss the point. Me personally, I choose not to drink. It's part of, really, my testimony. It's a success story. People say, really? You kicked alcohol? Yeah, man, I was filled with the Spirit. Didn't need the booze anymore. Didn't need the bottle. Would look at it and go... Why am I still doing this? It was a habit, but eventually I'm like, I just didn't buy it anymore. And I'm not one of those angry, dry people. You know, I'm 20 years dry and I'm angry about it. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm jazzed, man. I'm happy. Life is good. But I also don't want to stumble anybody to sin. 
I don't want anybody, listen, you, you can't live a perfect life as a leader in a church, but you do the best you can. And the Bible speaks about restricting your freedoms for the sake of others. I can't have anybody see me, you know, with, with, with alcohol because it could stumble them and it could freak them out. And I'm just, just not going to do it. I'm going to say this to you too. If you're involved in ministry, even on your social media, don't flaunt that stuff because probably, and I'm just saying this, I'll, I'll be having a talk with you. Love the people, love the teens, love the struggling young adults, love the, the older people who have been dry for 20, 30 years. Don't flaunt alcohol consumption. It's not right. And I can provide a lot of scripture to speak about that. So I think I'm pretty balanced on the subject. Though I judge anybody who has a, 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 a bottle of beer with the game or a glass of wine at dinner, absolutely not. I don't judge anybody. As a matter of fact, before modern drugs, alcohol was for people who were suffering, who were terminal, who were in pain, who were wounded, um, you know, and it, it still works today, but don't take that to the extreme either. The point is this, what do we want controlling our lives? Well, be filled with the Spirit is the Greek present tense, which means to keep on being filled with the Spirit. So it's something that we just, I, that's me, man, uh, my thing is I'm going up to the pulpit, Lord. I know I could say some dumb things, Lord. Please fill me with your spirit. Let it be more of you and less of me. When we went out evangelizing, I don't like rejection. I like to be liked by people. When you go out evangelizing, you get rejected. My thing is, Lord, help me to be strong. Help me to, to do you justice. Help me to love that person, even though they're making fun of me or whatever. You know, you need to be filled with the spirit, especially if you're doing ministry. What are the benefits of being filled with the Spirit? It's a lifestyle, a lifestyle of guidance, leading, protection, purpose, power, knowledge, healing, miracles. And I'll tell you what, when the Lord uses you to heal somebody, that's amazing. I mean, you want to do that every day, but probably He doesn't have you do it every day because we probably get prideful. I know I would. So every once in a while, I just savor and relish those moments when you just touch somebody and lay hands on them and they get better beautiful. Without the Holy Spirit? You, listen, you could do a lot of things under the powers of darkness. Um, Pharaoh's magicians did a lot of duplicate miracles of what Moses did, but when they duplicated the snake, Moses' snake went, oh yeah? He ate, <laughs> he ate Pharaoh's magician snakes. Well, we'll see. And he gobbled them right up. So Satan can do limited things, but God can do amazing things. And one day Satan will be judged and there will be no more of him. And that'll be a good day. I just say this. You want to get addicted to something good? Get addicted to God. Nothing bad will come out of that. Verse 19, last few verses. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ submitting to one another in the fear of God. So what does this all mean? What does this all mean? This is really two things. A vertical relationship between us, us and God, and secondary, a horizontal relationship between us and others. So let's break it down. To God, the giving of thanks for all things, singing and making melody in our heart towards God. When you're being used by God, you, it's, it's euphoric. It does affect you mentally and affects you physically. There's a euphoria that comes over you. It's so exciting. How do you lose when, you're, when you're, you're just obeying the creator of the universe? So in a sense, some of it is literal. Some of it is, is um, 
sort of paraphrased in a sense. Um, do I go around singing all day for 24? No, I don't. I sleep, I eat, I do a lot of things. There are some times, though, that there's a really catchy worship tune, and, and I go home and I start singing it, and my wife, she, she, I'm not a very good singer. And my wife goes, she goes, save that for the worship team. <laughs> you know, you'll never make the worship team. And she's right, but God likes the way it sounds. <laughs> That's true. Two, to each other. Speaking in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs and submitting to each other. What does that mean? You know what it means? It means not to just be a Christian in church. You know, there's an element of the church, and when I'm going to start speaking about the aggregate church. There's an element of the church that they're only Christians for 40, 45 minutes. And when they go home, as soon as they leave the doors, it's done. No. I mean, when I get together with Christians, I love when especially new believers or believers for a few years tell me what the Lord has done through them. And, and, you know, just they prayed with somebody or they talked to somebody in a a very uh, discreet way about Jesus Christ. That's exciting. It means that we're a Christian all the time. It means to talk about the message. There's been times that I've talked about materialism, materialism, and I, I'm, I'm out in the lobby and somebody comes up to me and tells me how much they're going to indulge themselves this week. And I'm like, did you just hear what I said? You just At least keep it to yourself, you know what I'm saying? But it's, it's, a, it's an idea of, of being interested in the message, being interested in God's word, using the word to counsel and to bless others, to be joyful with others, to be others-centered, right? To, you know, and some do this as well. They have their church friends, and then they have their fleshy, carnal, and materialistic friends that they hang out with, and never the twain shall meet. It's like they're living a double life. Well, I could be this way with them, Right? To submit to one another in the fear of God. And this is a great segue to Sunday's message. As Christians, there should be a point where we are often submitting to each other. In other words, the roles start to get reversed. I mean, people have corrected me, and I've taken it to heart. Submit to each other. It It means that not to be so tight and defensive when somebody's trying to speak wisdom or a word of knowledge into your life. It means not to act as if we have all the answers. See, that's a, a Northeast thing. That's an East Coast thing. Actually, I know people from California. They have a different thing. But on the East Coast, we're just so defensive. We're so tight. Oh, oh don't go there, man. Those are fighting words. Are we teachable? There's some that I, I just can't have a discussion with because they're not, just not going to receive it. Can we submit to each other? There's times on a few occasions, rare occasions, where my teenage son has called me out on something, and you know what? He's been right. Are we, are we willing to let our guard down and to consider what another person says and submit to it if, if maybe, it, if definitely it came from God through the Holy Spirit? So how do we do all this? Let's wrap this up. Jesus said in Luke eleven thirteen, If you then, being evil, were sinners... Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And that's the key. That's the key. You could imagine that Jesus is teaching the disciples how to pray, and they're maybe thinking, gee, I could use another cloak. You know, I could use a bigger, I could use some more square footage on my home. Yeah, they had those thoughts back then. 
And Jesus now throws in the Holy Spirit. Well, what do you mean? I, I wanted material stuff. This is something that the, the prosperity gospel purveyor should look at. To desire the Holy Spirit. Because that's where the power comes from. And if you're a believer, here, don't, don't, be, pulled, don't be pulled back by that little rope as the mighty elephant. Ask the Lord in your quiet, in your prayer time, Lord, what is it? What do you want to show me? Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Lord, make me a more effective wisdom, um, wisdom and uh, witness for you. To live with an eternal purpose. Now, some are thinking, possibly that's not me. You don't understand. This is my problem. This is what I'm into. This is something I can't get past. Trust the Lord. It isn't for me to change you. It's for God's word. It's for him. It's through prayer. It's through the Holy Spirit. He does a much better job than any church leader could ever do. If you would, before we close, could you put up that image? This is going to be an offensive image. By the way, that's ISIS, in case you didn't know. Those are Ethiopian Christians, the moment before they stepped into eternity. Defiant, barbaric, these people are, are, are horrible people. But you know what? Now, if you, what I'm going to say, if you take it out of context, it's going to throw everything off. They are living with an eternal purpose. The only problem is who they're worshiping is a demon. I don't care what religion you say you come from, a religion that tells you to cut people's heads off. Can you imagine how cold you have to be to hold somebody down and do that? These dudes are living with an eternal purpose, except they're going to find out that they worship the demon. As a matter of fact, this image came from this article. It said, ISIS fighter who enjoyed killing Christians wants to follow Jesus after dreaming of a man in white who told him, you are killing my people. Sounds like Acts chapter 9 with the Apostle Paul. So we're admitting the Pentagon, the president, oh, we don't know what to do. We don't know how to fix the problem. I'll tell you what, Jesus is stepping in. I will give you this website and watch the video. There's a man who wrote a book, Dreams and Visions, Is Jesus Awakening the Muslim World? Jesus Christ is getting in where they're jamming Christian radio, where they're killing um, you know, evangelists. Christ is getting into these places. He's getting into ISIS. He got into Hezbollah. My wife has a video of one of the terrorists, um, maybe Hamas, one of these guys, talking about his conversion and crying and desiring God like the Apostle Paul did after the Lord turned him around. He, here's the problem with the church, the Western church. We're so distracted by so many things that we don't think that God has the power to do this. And we don't think that God can actually use this to do something. Pastor, help me. Pastor, you do this. That's fine. I'm, but we're only three people. God has given you the power of the Holy Spirit to do things I can't do. These dudes are living what they think for an eternal purpose. And here's the sad part. Some of them are more motivated for their demon then Christians are motivated for the true God. Take that to heart. Don't get mad. Take it to heart. If it doesn't bother you, then it doesn't affect you. But things have to change in the Western illusion. And that's what Satan is doing. He's blinding us with all kinds of garbage. He's loading us up. He's loading up our schedules that we have no time for God. Christians, do you want to be a part of the solution? 
Do you want to stop being spectators and be someone through the Holy Spirit who can do amazing things? Not to impress other believers, but just for you to be fulfilled in your life because God has given you a purpose. And when you get to heaven, this will be lasting for eternity. We're either living for this world with no purpose, or we can live for God with an eternal purpose. It's our choice. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.